Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. All right. Good morning. How is everyone? Y'all are doing well. I'm shocked. Honestly, I don't think it's a rainy day. We're going to get through it this morning, but y'all are lively this morning. I like it. Uh, Well, I'm I'm Bronson. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new, we are journeying through the book of Acts together. Are y'all enjoying this? Good. Okay. Me too. I'm loving it. This is one of my favorite series that we have ever done. And what we're doing is we're just walking through uh, the book of Acts. And what, what we're asking is, what made the early church the early church, Right? Like, what was it that marked early Christians that took them from being a a marginalized, basically powerless group in the Roman Empire to being the dominant people group on the planet within 200 years? And what we did is we looked at in the first week, we looked at what it was, which was the power of who? The Holy Spirit, right? When the Holy Spirit comes in, there's ordinary men who do extraordinary things. And the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit wants to do the exact same thing in you, in us. Isn't that amazing? Uh, If we were, Blake said it last week, he he said, uh, we're in Acts 2022 right now. Like if the chapters kept going and we looked at where we're at in the Bible, we would be in the book of Acts. And so this week, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn to it, Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at the story of Paul and Silas. I want to say a few things while you're turning. Um, I want to make sure this is clear. The, The message of the book of Acts is that God has filled his people with his spirit and has sent us out as his ambassadors to every corner of the earth to spread his message of his kingdom for the redemption and the renewal of a world that he so desperately loves. The Bible is the story of God's mission, God's redemption, and God's work that we get to be a part of. And it's about his people moving in powerful, disruptive, and city-shaking ways. Uh, This morning, we're going to read about a spiritual earthquake, okay, that just sends waves throughout the city. Uh, You know, it's interesting. uh, You hear about earthquakes all the time, right? This June, you may not know it, in Afghanistan, there was a 6.1 magnitude earthquake. Uh, Last August, there was a 7.2 magnitude earthquake in Haiti, and thousands of people lost their lives. It's devastating. If you've ever been a part of an earthquake, it's horrifying, it's terrifying, and it turns people's worlds upside down. Why? Because it's a literal shaking of the lithosphere, right? That's the crust of the earth. I had to throw that one in there. Um, And and it brings devastation. Here's what I want to propose to you this morning. The gospel of Jesus is like an earthquake. It shakes us to our core. And when that happens, it shakes our families, our cities, our communities, and our world to its very foundation. The gospel turns the world upside down, and then it rebuilds it into something more beautiful and more glorious than it ever could have been before. That's the work of Jesus. And so what we're going to look at together this morning is how the gospel shakes the very foundations of people's lives, the the entire way of living, things that imprison us, and then the very structure of our soul. And so I want to show you, here's my thesis this morning. The gospel shakes the foundation of our cities, our prisons, and our lives. Amen? Recommended reading uh, for my readers in the room. 
there's a book called Jesus the King. This is probably in my top five favorite books. It's by a guy named Tim Keller. And I I think it's one of the most crisp, clear gospel presentations. Um, And I I think it would just help you uh, around this topic. So my sermon title this morning is The Prison. um, And I've got uh, Victory here. Victory is going to read our text for this morning. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Um, It's in Acts chapter 16 verse 16 through 34, and she's going to be reading out of the NIV. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what you're doing within our community and God, what you're doing within our lives. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning. God, we we believe that you are the creator of heaven and earth. God, that you spoke things into being. God, that you're our creator and you sent Jesus to redeem us and the Holy Spirit to empower us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. You can take a seat, Paul. Thank you. See you in like 20, 20 or so minutes. Does that sound good? Yeah, 20 or so. Hey, will you unplug the baptismal on the way? You know my ADD can't handle that. That's just uh, ambient noise, right? Uh, okay, so question as we get going. Have you ever had bad press? Right? 
Have you ever had uh, someone who was trying to promote you, but it's, it's not the promotion you want, right? Uh, a few years ago when I was in the sales world, <laughs> I had a manager, and I don't, I don't know a better, more, I was like kind of wrestling through how do I say this. He, he was, oh, the silence, the peace. Uh, he, he was pretty aggressive, and not just aggressive, like he, he was angry, like outbursts of anger, like would show vile things on his phone to people, like was, was greedy, angry, all these different things, right? And, and honestly, like we had a lot of tension. And so when we would go into sales meetings, yo, I'm telling you, it, it was like a movie. Like he'd be screaming at us, cussing us out, and then all of a sudden he'd start talking about Jesus, right? And he'd be like, like preacher over here, he knows what I'm talking about, and I'm like, no, 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 not, you know, not, not the same, you know, not the same. And it's like, how do you do that? How do you graciously, like, separate yourselves in that situation? Uh, you know, this is kind of what's happening in this story. Uh, th- this female slave is following Paul and Cyrus, Silas, and th- she's giving them the wrong kind of press. Uh, Paul and Silas really were servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved, but she was not a good testimonial, okay? She was not a good source. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But first, let's do a little background on the passage. So Paul, Silas, and Luke went to the city of Philippi during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, The Apostle Paul was called to preach the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world to the Gentiles, and this was his second big missions trip, right? He brought along Silas, who was a prominent leader in the church, and Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Uh, They come to Philippi, which was a city surrounded on three sides uh, with an open plain in front of it. My, My mega nerds, it was built like Helm's Deep. Okay, anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Helm's Deep, Lord of the Rings, okay? Um, and, and so that's, that's how Philippi is set up. It's a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, and, and so all in this chapter, we see a businesswoman, a possessed slave girl, and a jailer all come to Jesus, okay? This reminds me of our church, right? I, I love it. And, and so Paul, Silas, and Luke arrive at Philippi, and, and they're going to a place to pray, and then they encounter this female slave girl, and this is where our story begins. So let's jump into it. Um, my first point is this. The gospel shakes the foundations of our city. So, okay, let's, let's enter into the text a little bit. We just read it, so I'm not going to read back through this, this portion. Um, they're being followed around by this girl, and she is driving them absolutely crazy. Uh, the, the Greek here says Paul was deeply irritated and annoyed. Can anyone relate? He's deeply irritated and annoyed, and he can't take it anymore. Don't you wish when you were deeply irritated and annoyed, like demons got cast out of people, right? Like, like, like all of a sudden your toddler is like clothed and in their right mind, okay? I, I wish I walked in that level of spiritual authority. But, but notice this. Our text says she had a spirit by which she predicted the future, or literally translated, it said that she had a python spirit. It's an incredibly specific reference to the snake in classic mythology that guarded the temple of Apollo in something called the Delphic Order. Okay, so here's what's going on here. It's said that Apollo, who is a Greek god, would embody this great snake or python, as well as the pythonesses. These are the people who worked within the temple, a sect of witches. 
who were known for their fortune-telling abilities and whom resided in a cave overlooking the Sea of Corinth. This mountain where they dwelt was not far from the city of Philippi. And it was said that the oracles of Delphi would breathe in vapors that rose from a vent in the cave floor, and then they would begin telling the future and answering questions and prophesying, okay? In the myths, the python would whisper into the ear of the witch answers about the future. Does this sound familiar? This is what's happening in the passage. And the witch would speak the words in a voice that was not her own. Okay, regardless of like the mythological trappings that are here, this temple was a real temple. The witches of Delphi were real witches, and it was inhabited by people who really did tell fortunes. So why is this bad press? These are demonic snake witches, okay? <laughs> and these, this snake witch is following him around, telling people, like, you should listen to him. Now, when she's saying these are the servants of the Most High God, she could mean Yahweh. This is the God of the Israelites, but most likely she means Zeus, okay? So it, it's bringing about confusion. Here's what I want you to see. This isn't just a spirit that's attached to her, It was the spirit of the city. It's deeply ingrained to the history and the imagination of the city, and it's where people were putting their faith. When people were afraid, they went to her to get insight, and the spirit of fear was being exploited for financial gain. You know, this may be strange language, like the spirit of a city, but when we unpack it, we're going to see that there's distinct spirits about cities. Just think about it. Like Los Angeles, right? There's a distinct uh, spirit of self-aggrandizing, right, or self-promotion or becoming famous. That's the spirit of the city. The spirit of New York, it's the spirit of success, right? Leave behind an old life, escape into New York and find a new Success. So a question we have to ask ourselves is, what's the spirit of our city, right? What's the spirit of our city? You know, there are great things about our city, but if, if you look at our history over the last 70 years, our, our city was chosen as a model of integration and, and how if we could integrate Little Rock, then it could be a model for the rest of the country. Now, that spirit of integration, you'll also see as division within our city, right? I've, I've lived in a number of cities. I've never seen a city our size have, have such distinct neighborhoods. Have you noticed that? We have really, like, everybody knows kind of where everybody lives. You know, there's nothing wrong with having distinct neighborhoods, but the issue comes when those neighborhoods cause division, And when we don't interact with people who are from other places, you know, it's interesting, if you go in and you study history, the city of Antioch was the first place where you saw true multiracial, multinational communities. See, back then in cities, what people would do is you might have a multicultural city, but those people did not interact with each other. They had walls that were built between them and the other nationalities, the other religions or whatever. And so what happened in Antioch is when the gospel went forth and people from all these other backgrounds got saved, they were united under the name of Jesus. And so what I believe God has called us to do as a church is to glorify Jesus, and in that, be integrated, and to be multicultural. Look around the room. 
Look at all the different backgrounds and all the different places that we're from. You know, this is beautiful. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to use our differences to gain for his advantage, right? And so what he wants to do is he wants to stir up distrust for each other. He, he wants to stir up a misunderstanding for each other. So we have to do the deep work if we want to break those bonds of being in relationship. And if we do that, God will use us as a city on a hill to disrupt our city. You know, there, there was a spirit of superstition and fear of the future on the city of Philippi. The power and financial gain of those who depended on that fear was taken away in this moment. That's why things are in such an uproar. F.F. Bruce said this. He said, when Paul exercised the spirit that had possessed her, he exercised their source of income as well. This event launches the this, this city into chaos. Okay, so she had a python spirit. This is something that demonic that would give her hunches about the future. She'd take these demonic hunches and tell a story about them, and people would pay her for these stories or these fortunes. So they'd come in and they'd ask about their health. They would ask about questions like, none of us have ever asked this, like, will I ever get married, right? It would ask questions like, will my kids make good decisions, or will I ever have children, or will I ever have enough money, or how am I going to die, right? That demonic spirit feasted on the fear of people who had fear of the future. It feasted, here's what I want you to notice, on people's strongholds. And it came at a cost. I don't want us to miss the correlation here. Y'all, strongholds always have a cost. Think about it. If you're bound by addiction to your cell phone, am I speaking to anybody? It costs you what? Your time. It costs you relationship. It costs you actually mental peace. It causes anxiety. There's all kinds of issues. If you're bound by drug addiction, it costs you more than money. Costs you your health, your relationships, your safety. If you're bound by pornography, it costs you your innocence. If you're bound by a shopping addiction, all your money is going to retailers, right? Here's my point. Strongholds always have a price tag, and when we have strongholds, someone else profits from them, and it is never you. God used the freedom of one person to shake the foundations of this city. Yo, there will always be a cost when you change. There will be people who don't like it when you get free, right? You've changed. You don't do the things that you used to. You've gotten judgmental now. I wonder if anybody's ever run into that. He, 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 you may look at yourself and you're like, I'm not judgmental. Like, I don't care that. When you stop doing the things that you used to do, it affects other people, right? And here's how it affects them. They start questioning the thing that they're doing, and if they don't want to change it, they have to turn it on you. Does that make sense? And so there, there will be a break in a cost in a relationship. We have to fight for these things, but it's not always that you're doing something wrong. Now, some of you guys are incredibly judgmental, and it is your fault. <laughs> but not necessarily, 
Look at this. John Stott said this in his commentary on Acts. He said, the slave girl had a psychological need. True, she had an evil spirit that needed to be exercised, but being possessed and then now, then as in now, can have terrible psychological consequences. She'd lost her identity, her individuality as a human being. If socially she belonged as a slave to her owners, psychologically she belonged to the spirit which controlled her. She was in double bondage. But in finding Christ, I think for Luke that means to understand that she was converted as well as delivered, she found herself, and she became an integrated person again. What does that mean? She came into the fullness of what God had intended for her. You know, when we planted this church, I remember walking outside, and we're in the creative corridor of downtown, and the truth is not everybody is excited that we're here. You may have seen that we had a broken window a couple of weeks ago. It took us like weeks to fix it. I was shocked it took us five years to get a broken window. Uh, I remember when we first opened, there was somebody walking down the street, and I could hear them across the street. They said, they were looking to see what we were, what we were going to become, and they said, the last thing we need is another church. And in that moment, I was like, that's why we're here. We're here not to thumb our noses, but to show people that when people are liberated and when people find freedom, it betters the city we're in. Healed people bring healing. Healed people bring change to systematic issues. Yo, we may start a small earthquake, but a lot of small earthquakes become something large. Amen? That's our goal. The gospel will shake you. I don't want you to miss this. And it will shake your community. It disrupts things. Y'all, the gospel is disruptive. And if it's not disruptive, listen to me, it is not the gospel. If it is not disruptive, if it doesn't disrupt your life, if it doesn't disrupt your family, if it doesn't disrupt our city, it is not the gospel and it's not the power of God. That is what we are aiming at. Can I get an amen? Amen. Point two. The gospel shakes the foundation of the prisons that enslave us. If you go through and you look at this text, what happens is the people whose uh, pocketbooks got affected then went and stirred people up and said, hey, these Jewish people are causing problems, okay, for us Romans. So what are they doing? They're stirring up the latent anti-Semitism, right, the racism that existed within the city, and they're saying these Jewish people are causing problems again for all of us Romans, okay? Let's dig deeper into exactly what's happening. So the accusation caused a riot, Uh, and and here's why. Introducing an an alien religion was a serious problem in in Roman culture. Uh, Officially, Roman citizens may not practice any alien cult that had not received public sanction of the state, okay? But customarily, somebody might be allowed to do it as long as his cult, his religion, did not otherwise offend the laws and usages of Roman life. So what these guys are saying is they're coming in with an unauthorized religion and they're causing issues in our city Let's deal with it, okay? So they're beaten half to death. Yo, Paul is beaten so many times, right? Like, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm always like, you know, my life's not so bad, you know? Uh, Paul was an animal, okay? In one story, it says that he got beaten so bad they thought he was dead. He got up, dusts himself off, goes to the next city, and keeps doing ministry. The dude was a beast, okay? 
So here they are, beaten half to death. They're thrown in the most secure area of the prison and shackled, and their feet are put in stock, and their legs are spread as far apart as possible. Now, for a normal person, it's agony after 20 minutes. The body starts severely cramping after 35 minutes, and the only sound a prisoner normally makes is screams, and eventually it's just groans and moans of pain. But here we find them worshiping at midnight, worshiping in their pain, worshiping in their suffering. Y'all, when you are in prison, you have options, right? You can complain, you can get bitter, or you can worship with trust. Notice they didn't complain. Question, what does it take to get you complaining? For me, it's, it's my kids, like, interrupting the game. I'm like, you're ruining the game, you know? I'm watching football, right? I start complaining. I'm getting irritated. They didn't complain. They didn't get bitter. What does it take for you to get bitter? Someone mean to you or, or lies to you, y'all, I'll be transparent with you. 2020 was not an easy time to be a pastor. <laughs> there was COVID. There was racial tension. There were political issues that were just gasoline on the fire. And can I be honest? I haven't talked about this a ton, this part. It, it, people were not the most gracious with pastors. <laughs> I'm just telling you. People were not the easiest with this. And it was tough. Like, your congregation's moving. Everybody's in all these different places. You don't know where people are. You're trying to keep up. You're trying to do your best. But you know inside that you're missing it and you're failing. And there came a point in the summer where I realized I was just starting to get bitter, right? I was starting to get defensive. I was starting to get angry. I started to blame people for the problems. And I remember in this, I started reading the, on the teachings of Jesus when it came to something called Jubilee, which was uh, release and forgiveness of debts and all these things. And, and what I realized is that when I got bitter and I got angry, I was stopping the flow of God's goodness and God's grace. And so I had to lay those things down so that the gospel could keep going forward. And y'all, it was difficult, Right? This is a constant practice. Did you know that laying down bitterness is something that you have to practice, right? It is easy. It's natural for us to get bitter and for us to get angry. But when we do, it poisons us. They didn't complain. They didn't get bitter. They worshiped in the pain. The book of Hebrews talks about how God wants us to bring a sacrifice of praise. Have you ever heard that before? If you've been in church long enough, bring a sacrifice of praise. Bring God something that costs you something. Y'all, when we praise in our struggles, it costs us something. It costs us our pride, our self-dependence, but it brings us more gain than we could ever imagine. Y'all, most of us worship in tragedy. When I was a worship leader, this kind of sounds sadistic, but I loved leading worship for funerals, right? Wasn't a dry eye in the place. People want to worship when there's tragedy, but not when there's struggle. 
when the everyday pressures of life, that, that's the subtle deception that we fall into. When the everyday pressures of life push, push on us, our natural response is not to worship. So, what's your struggle? It could be at no fault of your own. Is it sickness, a financial struggle, a social struggle, a relational struggle, a mental struggle, struggle with addiction? How are you responding to it? So I want you to take a second. Name your struggle. Just mentally right where you're at. Maybe write it down. What's your struggle? What's, what's, what's the thing? It could be getting a business going. What's your struggle? How are you responding to it? Is it with trusting worship? Or is it with complaining and bitterness? One will open the doors to your soul and your connection with Jesus, and one will lock you deeper in the prison. Yo, you can be in a physical prison but still be free. But you can also be physically free and spiritually imprisoned. Here's the truth. You can be in prison and pray every day and still not get out. I wonder if anybody's ever been in that. Like you've been praying for something, you've been asking God for something, you're still battling. But here's what I've found. When I pray, it doesn't always transform my situation, but it does transform me. It does change me. Nelson Mandela said this in his book, Long Walk to Freedom. He said, as I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Y'all, it is so much easier to get bitter and angry when things are hard, but I found it just poisons me. All that bitterness and anger just makes it worse. Have you met somebody who just holds on to their anger their whole life and they're just sour and everything is negative, right? Just worst case scenario every time. Y'all, listen, you do not have to live like that. Look at Paul and Silas. They could have easily thrown a pity party. I would have, okay? I'm just telling you. I think I would have. But they didn't. Why? Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5, what Paul wrote. He said, we demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. They knew that this temporary prison was not their home, that God was on mission with them. And it says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yo, this is a daily practice. I know I talk about this a lot. Yo, we have to daily take our thoughts captive and submit them to God in prayer. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, he said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Don't you want that? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. Y'all, when, when they praised in the prison, God shook the prison until the doors broke open and it became a testimony of God's greatness. The way you stay steadfast, listen, the way you stay steadfast in your struggles is a testimony not of your strength, but God's strength. 
Tim Keller said this. He said, if Jesus is who he says he is, there's another way to look at life. If he's Lord of the storm, then no matter what shape your world is in or your life is in, you will find Jesus provides all the healing, all the rest, and all the power you could possibly want. Notice, the other prisoners are tuned in. What does it mean? It means in your midnight hour, and you're struggling, people are tuned into your faith to see how you're going to respond. Stott went on to say this. He says, not groans, but songs came from their mouths. Instead of cursing people, they blessed God. When you go through struggle, what comes out of your mouth? Is it cursing of the situation or is it blessing of God? No wonder the other prisoners were listening to them. Last point, we're going to close here. The gospel shakes the foundation of people's lives. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. You'll the one who had beaten them washed their stripes. And the ones who were beaten baptized him in the water so that he could be washed of his sins. Isn't that a beautiful picture and image? Y'all, I, I want to speak this over your life. God will use you to bless the people who have hurt you and persecuted you. Y'all, so often we miss ministry moments because we label people broken, lost, hurting people as our enemies instead of recognizing that there is something deeper going on. And I believe we miss out on ministry. Here's what I wanna ask you, just take a second. Who's your enemy? Who's the person that you're carrying bitterness with? Y'all, I'm telling you, I have to practice this. I've had some people say some crazy stuff to me, and it is so much easier to write them off than it is to pray for them. But here's what I found in, in God's upside down economy. When I refuse bitterness, and I believe in faith that God can do something, it builds up my spirit with faith, and I experience more peace than I ever could have if I'd labeled that person as the enemy. So, who is that person? Who's that person that you can pray for, y'all? Every weekend, we have the response stations, the candles that are lit in the corner, y'all. Don't just pray for the people who are easy. Who's the person who's deeply hurt you? Go over, light a candle. Ask that God's grace and his light would break in and transform their lives. Y'all, that is how we become a people who don't just live in a city, who don't just exist in a city, but change a city. That's how we become people who don't just go to work, right? Who don't just interact with our coworkers, but we're people who bring the gospel of Jesus to them. We love them. 
we believe God's best for them. And notice this, it wasn't one baptism. It was his whole household back then, and that was his employees, his families. Some writers said it was upwards of 40 or 50 people met Jesus, had their eternities changed, not just where they were going, but what they were living. And they started walking with the God who loved them and created them. They came into integration, right, with what God had planned for them. Y'all, that is beautiful. That is the work in the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Y'all, our goal is to build a community of white hot faith. We want to be people who don't just come in and attend. We want to be people who walk deeply with God. Why? Our world does not need smarter people. Our world does not need physically stronger people. Our world needs deeper people. People who are deeply connected with God and walk in the power of Jesus. I say it every weekend. I'm not going to stop. Just get used to it. That's why the men of our community, we're going first. We're meeting Wednesday mornings and we are seeking God in prayer. Why? Because we want to be men of depth. We want to be men of connectivity to the Father and we want to lead our families that way. Can I get an amen? And we're fanning the flame. Yo, we got to be people who are not intimidated by hard times, but are full of faith because God is with us. As we do this, I believe God will open up the world to us to reach with his grace and his mercy. Yo, I believe people have never been more hungry for the truth. Why? Look around. Our systems are failing us. Our worldviews are failing us. And as a society, we are watching those things collapse in on people. And I believe that people are, are, are more receptive to the gospel of Jesus, to the word of God, that his way for our world may well be the best way. And so, y'all, let's be people who dig deep. Let's be people who learn our scriptures, who memorize it, who walk it out, and who deeply don't just know it, but live it by loving people. Amen? Listen, we're going to close right here. I think I did a false close earlier. This one's for real. I just want to take a second. Your systems may be failing you. You may be riddled with anxiety, the places where you've tried to find security, maybe absolutely letting you down. And what I want to submit to you is that through walking with Jesus, your life will come into more peace and more purpose than you could ever dreamed or imagined. Your habits may be crushing in on you. Your systems of feeling good about yourself may be failing you. And Jesus wants to offer a better way, amen? If that's you, listen to me. I don't just want you to sit there with it. I want you to do something with it. Here in a moment, we're gonna have people in the back getting prayer, y'all. People are gonna go for prayer for all kinds of things, okay? So if you get up and you move for prayer, people aren't gonna be like, wow, that person has issues, okay? We all got issues, right? I go back and I get prayer probably every other week. If that's you, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If, if you want a relationship with Jesus, I want you to go back and talk to some of our elders and some of our leaders. And y'all, they'll walk with you. They'll tell you the way forward. Y'all, you, your faith is not meant to be lived out alone. It's meant to be lived out in community with other people. And I'm telling you, if you'll take that step of faith, God will absolutely transform your life. He did it for me, and I believe he can do it for you. Amen.
Let me pray, and I'm going to explain all the different ways we can respond. So God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us through it. God, it is, a, it is the story of your love for us. God, I pray that this morning uh, we'd find ourselves in it. God, we would join in it and we would walk in it. God, I pray for the person who this morning is making that decision. God, I thank you for the purpose on their life. God, that you're gonna lead them into a life of peace and hope and meaning and freedom like they could never have imagined on their own. I wanna pray specifically over struggles. Um, If you've got something right now you're just not responding to the way you want to, I just wanna pray for you. Hold your hands out right in front of you. It's just a posture of receiving. Come Holy Spirit, minister to us. You know the way, God. God, remind us in our pain, pull on us. Just that whisper, come worship me, come be with me. Leave the bitterness and the anger and all those things behind. God, lead us deeper. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Okay, we're gonna go into a time of response. Um, Yo, this is the time when, when you take the things God's been speaking to you and you don't just go out and forget about it, but you really mind down and ask yourself two questions. Okay, here's what I want everybody in here to do. What's God speaking to me? Ask yourself that question. And if he's speaking, what are you going to do about it? Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.